Welcome to Northgate Christian Fellowship's weekly message series. And now, here is Senior Pastor Ken Jensen. How many here have ever been asked by someone near you to pray for them? Anybody here? Okay, yeah. Um, You all know I love sailing, and particularly not only sailing, I love racing. And um, very, very often, like when we're out there on the water and we're racing, the wind is getting light, I am the designated prayer. Okay, everybody turns to me and says, okay, it's your job. You got to pray for wind, you know, and I keep reminding them I have no extra pull. I got no more pull than anybody else. The wind blows where it may, you know, Um, and then, you know, it's always kind of half joking, but of course, if you know sailors and it comes to wind, it's never really a joke. It's just kind of a half joke because they really do want you to pray for wind, Um, but a lot of times, a lot of times when someone comes to you for prayer, in fact, most times. It's about stuff a lot more serious than that. It's a friend who comes to you and they've just been diagnosed with cancer. Or or maybe a family member who's lost a job or or a co-worker whose marriage is falling apart. Maybe it's a son or a daughter who's not making really good life choices right now. Or a neighbor couple having difficulty conceiving. And there's all kinds of things that we are asked to pray for. And some of them, most of them, are real serious issues and needs. And and when you're asked, you say yes, and then immediately inside of you, you kind of wonder, how do I pray for this? You, You begin to take on the weight of concern for this friend or this neighbor or this family member, and and it hits you, the serious request they've asked of you. What an important issue and a critical need that they have asked you to help carry and you feel helpless and you feel inadequate and sometimes maybe even feel like I don't even know where to begin to pray well the Bible talks about this kind of prayer and specifically calls this kind of prayer intercession which simply means to stand with or to stand on behalf of someone else in prayer it has a lot to do with what Jesus taught us in praying when he talked about it in, in Luke 11, he said, pray your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And really, that's kind of what intercession is all about. That's what praying for other people is really all about. It's a privilege. It's an opportunity. It's a responsibility. Because in it, what we are doing is we are standing as representatives of God to our friends and our family. And we are also standing on their behalf before God. We are in that point in the middle. And to help us understand what this looks like, after Jesus taught his disciples how to pray, he went on and he told them a couple of stories. One of them in Luke chapter 11, he talks about that in verse 5. Jesus said to them, now suppose you have a friend and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine has come on a journey and has, has come to me and I have nothing to set before him. And suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door is already locked. And I've lost my place. (laughs) Don't bother me. The door is already locked. And my children and I are in bed. I can't get up and give you anything. I tell you, even though he will not get up and give you bread because of friendship, yet because of your shameless audacity, he will surely get up and give you as much as you need. That's kind of a strange little story. But what Jesus is trying to do is to help us understand this whole idea of 
standing in between. And what really happens, what happens when you and I begin to pray for other people? And this morning, we're going to take a little bit of a different attack on it. We're going to talk about it a little bit, and then we're actually going to do it, okay? Because talking about prayer doesn't really do any good unless you begin to do it. But I want to do some instruction through this. And, 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 and what is it? What happens? What, what goes on when we begin to pray for other people? And one of the first things to happen, when I begin to pray for other people, what happens is I begin to take a personal interest in their needs. I become personally involved. A personal interest in their needs. This story Jesus tells begins with actually what was a fairly common occurrence. A friend is on a journey. And he gets to his friend's house unexpectedly. Now you say, well, that's kind of rude, you know, coming that late at night without, but you need to understand, okay, there were no, there was no email back then, okay? There were no telephones to call ahead. You know, you didn't make online reservations. In fact, there really wasn't any kind of a real postal system to speak of. So there was really no way of letting somebody know you were coming. And so this kind of stuff would happen pretty much all the time. And, And by the way, there were no, like, Train schedules, caravan schedules, you know, there was no set time of arrival. There was no, it, it was all very, in fact, it really depended a lot on the conditions. If, if the day got long and hot and it just became too much to be, you know, traveling, you kind of found a place, place of shade and wait for the sun to go down. And so this would be a fairly common occurrence. You don't, you don't get advance warning. The friend just shows up, unannounced, unexpected. He arrives and you are expected to entertain him because that's what you're supposed to do. If you've got a friend who travels and gets all that way and gets to your house, you are expected, no matter what time of day, no matter what's going on, to provide a meal for them. They're hot, they're tired, they're hungry, they've been traveling all day long. It's your job as a host to provide for them. Now, there's a whole level of hospitality in that culture that we don't understand. You know, because we think somebody shows up at our house, if they come after 9 o'clock, you don't even open the door, you know. And if they do, maybe a cup of coffee, you know, but that's about it, you know. Okay, this culture and hospitality is so different. This, the best I can describe it is like dinner at my grandma's house, okay? Because when you went to dinner at my grandma's house, there was no end to the food that was prepared. Because if we were having leg of lamb and you didn't like leg of lamb, just in case somebody didn't like leg of lamb, she would make Swedish meatballs. Actually, we were Danish, so they were Danish meatballs. You know, and it was, you know, it was, it's like five salads, you know, it was just soup, everything, the whole thing. In fact, the first time my wife, when we were dating, came to dinner at my grandma's house with me. And um, we're sitting around the table, and the food's all being passed out. And I said, okay, grandma, where's the fruit salad? And she looked at me like, what are you doing? But you see, my grandma always made like three salads. And there was always one of them that got left in the refrigerator because she forgot she had made it, you know. So she thought I was being rude. I just said, no, that grandma made it. We're going to eat it, you know. I mean, that's the level of hospitality we're talking about here, okay? That's what would be expected. And so this friend shows up, and he's unexpected, but it's your job to provide. Only the host doesn't have the resources. He says, suppose you have a friend, and you go, and you go to him at midnight and say, friend, lend me three loaves of bread. A friend of mine on a journey has come to me, and I have nothing to set before him. That is a picture of intercession, A friend in need has arrived unexpectedly. And I don't have the resources in my own self to meet that need. I need to go somewhere else for help. That is a picture 
of intercessory prayer. Someone has come to you with an issue or a crisis or something going on in their life that you have no ability to to help with. But you take it on so personally that you're going to find help for them. It's really, really what Jesus was talking about when he talked about praying, thy kingdom come. That, that I begin to take this on. It's more than lip service. I begin to take on the weight of concern of my friends. And I take a personal interest in it. And their problem becomes my problem. And that's what's happened. This traveling friend has arrived and is in need. And that need becomes the host's need. And what happens when I do that is I begin to take this personal interest and this personal concern and take the weight of it myself. And their concern and their crisis becomes in some ways mine. And I begin to pray, not my will but thine be done. Lord, your kingdom come. May I in some way help a little bit of up there become down here. And I begin to identify with them and I take on their need as my own. It's what Paul talked about to the Galatian church. Carry each other's heavy loads. If you do, you will give the law of Christ its full meaning. He says, this is what we are called to do. To help carry each other's burden. To take a personal interest in their need. And that's the first thing that happens when you begin to start praying for others. But it's not just that I just take this on. Now what I do is I bring it to God. And that's the whole second thing that happens. I begin to put my confidence and my trust in the goodness of the God that I know. It's not just that now I feel for my friend. It's that I take that weight of concern and I bring it before a God that I believe really does care. And a God that really does act. And I am trusting in his goodness on behalf of my friend. And that's what happens in the story. This man is going to his neighbor because he trusts in his neighbor's generosity. I mean, he has to. I mean, think about it. What neighbor do you have that you would go to at midnight and ask for help? Anybody got one of those kind of neighbors? You know? Actually, I do. I've got one of those kind of neighbors. My next door neighbor, he is like, the man has every tool that was ever made. I believe this. And he knows where every one of them is in his garage. And it's like if I'm in the middle of a project and I don't have something, I go next door and Ted's got it. In fact, if Ted sees me working outside using a tool that is not the appropriate tool, he will come over and say, I've got a tool that will work better for that. And he will go and bring it over to me. And he will help. I mean, this guy, he's an incredible neighbor, okay? That's the kind of neighbor he's expecting to have here. It's a kind of, well, although I never have asked Ted at midnight for anything, so... But I'm assuming he will. He said, that's the kind of neighbor he thinks he's got. And he goes to his neighbor because he knows there is somebody I can go to with this kind of problem. But the story takes a turn. Because he gets there and he asks his neighbor. And and Jesus said, and suppose the one inside answers, don't bother me. The door's already locked and my children and I are in bed and I can't get up and give you anything. That's not what we expected. And, and, and again, you got to understand, and, and I never fully, other, fully appreciated this story until I took the trip to Uganda. Because the homes in Uganda are about what we're describing about here, okay? We're not talking about a 24,000 square foot mansion, okay? We're talking about a hut 
that's probably smaller than this stage up here. And everybody sleeps in the same room. And everybody's just packed in there. And in fact, if you were wealthy, there was kind of a little elevated where the family slept. And then in the lower area, that's where you brought in the animals so they couldn't be stolen. So like, you know, when you go to bed at night, it's really an ordeal. You know, you're trying to get the baby calmed down. And you go, shush, 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 and shush, finally get it. And you tell all the other kids, don't make a peep. The baby's asleep. You know, everybody go to bed. And everybody is down in bed, and they're all spread out all over, you know, and they're just kind of jigsaw puzzled in. You know how it is when you go camping, okay? It's that kind of a picture that's going on here. And there's no electricity. It's not like, you know, the door knocks and you flip on the lights and you say, who is it, okay? It's like, this is a whole major deal, just getting everybody together asleep every night. And finally, the house is settled down, and everybody's sound asleep. And there comes a knocking at the door. I mean, this is a major ordeal. It's like, now the baby's awake. Oh, thanks a lot, you know. And, you know, the baby starts crying. And then the the two-year-old wants a drink of water. And, you know, and the the cows start mooing. And the whole place is a mess, you know. (laughs) I mean, that's what would happen here. This This is a big deal. And so when his neighbor, you know, and when his neighbor says, don't bother me, you know, it's like, it's already too late, you know. It's because everybody's awake already. And, you know, the neighbor's probably saying to his wife, you know, look out the window. Is he still there? You know, yeah, he's still pounding on the door, you know. It's a big deal. Yet, even so, in that culture, it would be expected that you would help. That would be the expectation. See, this is where the story takes a turn. Because even with all of that, everybody that was listening to the story as Jesus tells it is expecting the neighbor to get out of bed and give him what he needs. And so when Jesus tells the story and the neighbor answers, don't bother me, everybody's just kind of like, whoa, that's kind of (laughs) rude. I mean, because this is not, even if you don't know the traveler, okay, and even if your your neighbor's not a really good neighbor and not a really good friend, it still reflects badly on the whole town, on the whole village if you don't help out. And I know some of you, you know, you read this story, you, you hear this story, and you think to yourself, okay, now, I know a little bit about parables. And, 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 and when Jesus tells these parables, when he tells these stories, he's telling the story so we can identify with it. So, so okay, and I know, and I know, like, like, like the parable of the prodigal son, you know, the father who is lovingly waiting for his son to come home, that's God. And, and the prodigal son, that's me, okay? And when Jesus talks about the good shepherd and leading his, leading his sheep, okay, I know I'm the sheep, and, and Jesus, that's God, that's, that's, that's the shepherd, okay, I understand that. So I get to this story and I say okay here's the guy he's coming to need okay that's me and here we get to who's God God's the cranky neighbor <laughs> whoa wait a minute wait I thought this was to encourage us to pray you know what what is Jesus doing here okay he is telling this story as a contrast and we know that. We know that because he goes on and he tells a few more stories. He says which of you fathers if your son asked you for bread would you give him a stone? Or if he asked for an egg, would you give him a scorpion? And he goes on, he says, if you, though you evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more? And those are the three key words. How much more will your Father in heaven give? And what he is saying is there's a contrast here. There's a contrast that he's setting up in each one of these stories. Saying God is not a cranky neighbor. God is not an evil father. God is much more. 
And he's drawing a contrast. And what he's saying, in essence, as he tells the story, he says, okay, I know this is unheard of. Okay, but, but just, just for the sake of argument, let's say the neighbor does answer, don't bother me. What should you do? And the answer is, keep asking. Keep asking. Keep trusting. Have confidence. The writer of the Hebrews put it this way. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace. Jesus is setting up a contrast. He's saying you can have confidence and trust in the goodness of your God. And even if the answers don't come right away, don't give up. Keep on asking. It may take some time, but through it all, through it all, God is doing something here. And that's kind of the third thing that happens is when I begin to pray for other people and I begin to bring their needs as my own before a God who is good, I start to make room for the purposes of God in the whole situation. And this is a really important thing to understand because as Jesus tells the story, even the cranky neighbor eventually does get up. Now, that's what he says. Though he won't do it out of friendship's sake, if you keep knocking, knocking long enough, he will get up and give you whatever you need. Some translations say, because of your boldness and persistence, he will give you whatever. I like what the new, today's New International Version, because of your shameless audacity, he will get up and give you as much as you need. What's interesting about this story is Jesus in this story, never explains why our prayers take so long to get answered. That is not the point of this story. He never says, because it's going to take this long and this long and this long and this long. And if you ask for this, expect on a three-year wait, you know. And if you're asking for this, it's six to eight weeks delivery time, you know. That's not the point of the story. The point of the story is, when we begin to pray, God begins to act. And he doesn't tell us why sometimes it takes so long. He just says, keep praying. Keep praying. God is at work. The neighbor gets up and gives him what he needs. And when the neighbor gets up and done, that changes the whole household, okay? That that answer to that request is not just the neighbor's thing. That's the whole family's, okay? The whole household is up here. You know, and he goes to the cupboard and he says, honey, where do we keep the bread? It's like one in the morning and I don't remember, you know. The whole household is up. There's stuff happening while he's knocking. And the point that Jesus is seeing, when you pray, you set a process in motion that involves God. And sometimes in that process, we change. Any of you here who have young kids... Or have had and raised your young kids. Okay. You know what it's like. Like when you go shopping at Target. You know. And it's like every aisle you go down. Especially you get near the toy aisle. And it's just like. Oh daddy can I have. And daddy can I have. And it's just like no. No. You know. And please. 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 No. 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 Because some of the things they're asking for. Are not age appropriate for them. And some of the things that they're asking for. They're not ready to handle. And in truth. Most of the things they're asking for. They don't even need. And they don't really even want. It just happens to be in a bright package at eye-level shelf, you know, and that's why they have to have it now. Now, that doesn't mean I never gave my kids good presents. And it doesn't mean that I never wanted them to have everything I could possibly give them. 
I just knew. Most of the stuff they were asking and begging for, they didn't want, really. And they certainly didn't need it. And so something had to change in my kids asking. And in the process of intercessory prayer, a change takes place in us. And we begin to think about, okay, what is it that I am really asking for? What is it that I really want to see happen? And does it matter enough to me that I will hang in there and keep praying? In fact, that's my question of the morning. This is my question for you this morning. Who in your life do you care enough about to not give up on them? Who in your life do you care enough about that you will not give up on them in prayer? Anyone? Is there anything, any person in your life that is worth that much to you? Because that's what's happening here. Is it worth getting out of bed for? Not that God is, you know, struggling to get out of bed. It's just that, is our asking really what we want? Is it really what is needed? See, Jesus told these stories, and he told others. He told other stories over and over again. And his purpose, he said, in fact, that he told another story about a widow that went to a judge and kept asking for justice, and the judge just kept refusing her, just kept refusing her. And the same kind of story. It's a very similar story to this one. And finally, Jesus says, the judge said, just so she will quit wearing me out, I will give her what she needs. And, and Luke tells us Jesus told these stories for one reason and one reason alone, that we should always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. Because very often there's a lot more to it than a quick and simple answer to our prayer. Sometimes it's a work that he's doing in our own hearts. Sometimes it's a work he's doing in the person's heart that we're praying for. Sometimes what we're asking for is not really what the need is. There are deeper issues and greater concerns that must be addressed first. I have known parents praying for an estranged son and through a long time of prayer finally came to the realization it was they who needed to change. They had pushed their son away. And while praying for their son, they began to realize, oh, wait, God's talking to me. It's that whole process of not my will, but yours be done. And we are encouraged to just keep praying. Ephesians 6, verse 18. Pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. Be alert and always keep on praying for all the Lord's people. Don't give up. Make room for the purposes of God. And one more thing begins to happen. I become God's partner in my friend's life. I become a partner in what God is doing. Through prayer, God begins to actively involve me. Throughout history, God has always chosen to act through human agents. This is the way he has done all through history. Even when God himself came, he came in human form in Jesus Christ. It is how God works in this world. Yes, there are sometimes those supernatural miracles happen that are beyond any human explanation. But more often than not, more often than not, God works in this world through human agents. And you and I are those agents. See, what's interesting in this story is eventually, eventually, this unprepared host does become the supplier of bread to his traveling friend. 
It takes him a while to get it from his neighbor. And his neighbor might give it to him reluctantly. But ultimately, he becomes the guy that brings the bread back to his friend who is hungry. And that's what God does. He works through you and me. So Jesus says, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. And in fact, the verb tense there is, is it's keep on asking and you will receive. Seek, keep on seeking and you will find. Keep on knocking and the door will be opened to you. With your questions, with your doubt, with your wondering whether I'm doing it right or not, am I saying the right words, do I have enough faith, with all of that, he says, just keep asking. Just keep asking. Because when we do that, we are partnering with God in his work in this world. And here's the other thing that happens. When we partner with God in his work, he partners with us in our prayers. That's what Paul wrote to the Roman church. He said, we don't know what we should pray for, but the Spirit himself prays for us. God, who looks at our hearts, knows the mind of the Spirit, and the Spirit prays for God's people just as God wants him to pray. That when we pray, the Spirit of God super prays. (laughs) And where we stumble around with our words and, and even groanings that we just can't even put into words, God knows our hearts. And his spirit comes alongside and conveys those very groanings before God himself. And God makes sense of all of our wrong words and bad theology and all that other stuff. He partners with us. We titled this message, Who's in Your Fave Five? And the idea behind it is, can you think of five people in your life, five people that are on your heart, that are on your A-list, when it comes to praying. I want to tell you a story. And, and I actually, I was hoping to have them be able to do it live. Um, and, and then, because they're away at camp, because it involves some of the youth of our, of our church, some of the students of our church, um, they're away at camp, so they couldn't do it. So we're going to try and do it by video, except that they had been counselors at junior camp the week before, and they were home for a day and a half, and there wasn't time to do it. Okay? So I asked them, would you at least put it down on paper? So... I'm going to read the story, and we'll put their pictures up on the board. But I just want you to hear, this is just one example of one student praying for five people. She writes, my name is Jesse Alden, and these are the people in my faith five. My mom, my dad, my best friend, Emily, and my uncle, Ray, and Aunt Liza. Here's our story. My parents brought me to church for the first time after my brother started going to Young Life here. One Sunday, not long after we started coming, Jennifer was talking about knowing Jesus and having him come to live in your heart and be part of your life. I decided I wanted him to be in my life. So when Jennifer asked who was ready to accept Christ into their heart, I raised my hand. Then I went home and told my parents I wanted to get baptized because that's what you do when you ask Jesus into your heart. So I was baptized that summer at the age of six. My parents had both been brought up in Christian homes, but they had not accepted Christ yet. I really wanted them to because I was so excited about knowing Jesus. So I started praying for them, and they accepted Christ and were baptized a year after me. Emily, my best friend, took a little longer. After I'd accepted Christ, Jennifer asked if we had friends that we could pray for and invite who we wanted to come to know Christ. The first person I thought of was my best friend, Emily Lim. I invited Emily to Kids World, and she came. 
I wanted her to start coming to church. So I kept asking her until she came to church with us. And Emily came to church every once in a while through the whole time up until through middle school. And in our last year of middle school, she decided to go to camp on the houseboats with me. I started praying that Emily would accept Christ during that trip. Emily's side of the story. Ever since I was little, I was always scared. When I got a little bit older, I started hurting myself, thinking it would release some of the fear by showing myself how tough I was. Then Jesse, my best friend, started asking me to come to church, and someone there said, whenever you have problems or if you're scared, just pray, and God will be with you. So I quickly jumped on that idea, and I could start to feel a change. I became more excited about going to church instead of before when it was just like a chore. Six months later, I went to Jesse, with Jesse to camp. When I got back from camp, I was getting ready to put my trust in Christ because at the camp they taught me something. And, but then my parents told me they were getting a divorce. I acted like, whatever, that's cool. But I started turning away from everything I had learned over the last six months. I began to distance myself from God because I thought, after everything I had done and learned, why would he do this to me? If he loved us so much, why would he throw all this on us? So I quit praying and started hurting myself again. I was scared. But I never let it show on my face because I didn't want anyone to know how I really felt about God and everything around me. Back to Jesse. When Emily found out her parents about her parents' divorce, things changed for her. I don't know how often I prayed for Emily during this time, but it was quite a few times. During the divorce, Emily had a lot of struggles and was often a person I knew she didn't want to be and I didn't want her to be. I just kept praying. Emily. One night, I was talking to Kristen Demers, one of the leaders at Wednesday Night Live, and I totally broke down, letting it all out, all my questions and doubts. And she said something I would never forget. God put all this on you so that on this very night, you would do exactly what you just did. Say that you so badly wanted to follow Christ, and he chose tonight to be the night that you would finally put all your trust in Christ and let him be in your heart. And after that night, I learned that everything that went on in those months wasn't a waste of time because it brought me to that night and to today where I am finally happy inside and out, not scared, and finally quit hurting myself. And I learned that your doubts are normal. and They would be reassured when you least expect it. And in the meantime, my mom has come to Christ and my brother Robert has given his life to Christ. and He was just baptized this spring. Jesse, my aunt and uncle are also a part of my fave five. I have been praying for them as well. They moved back to Benicia from Truckee about four years ago during some difficult times for them, and, I've re and they've really been struggling still. We invited them to church often once they moved, moved home, but it took a while for them to come on a regular basis. My uncle has been staying with us during a separation since October. Since that time, I have prayed for him and his family every night. They all started to attend church more and more regularly. And I know my cousins, Angel and Fiona, love it. Uncle Ray has gone through a lot. And I worried about him often. And I prayed for his safety, that God would help him. I know my parents prayed for him all this time too. And that my mom kept saying that if he would let God take control of his life, he would make it through all of this. Just recently, he decided to go away for a while to a hospital in Florida to get some help. We believed God helped make that decision. Just before he decided to give his life over to God. And he left, just, just before he left, he decided to give his life over to God. He told my mom on the drive to the airport that he had looked up to catch Pastor Ken's eye after a sermon when Ken asked if anyone was ready to take that step of faith. 
I know things are still hard, but Uncle Ray is doing better. He and Liza are coming to church more regularly and are trying to work things out between them. In the meantime, I keep praying. Now, if one six-year-old can begin to pray for five people and consistently pray up through middle school, up into high school, you can do this. And you can have a difference in somebody's life for eternity. Paul wrote, as you help us by your prayers, then many will give thanks on our behalf for the gracious favor granted us as an answer to the prayers of many. You have a part in this. So here's what we're going to do this morning. On your outline at the bottom, there are five blanks in two columns, name and need. And I just want to ask you this morning, who's in your faith five? Who are the people in your life that you care so much about that you will not give up praying for them? Whatever their need might be, whatever their struggle might be, maybe, maybe it's healing, maybe it's marriage, family issues, maybe it's job, maybe it's the deeper issue of them giving their life to Christ and discovering the life that God has for them. But can you think of five people? And if you can't think of five, would you think of three? And if you can't think of three, would you think of at least one whose name you will write down and say, I will pray for them. I will keep praying for them. Just take a few minutes right now. Put down one, two, three, four, five names if you can. And then I want to lead you in a prayer. And I'll just kind of do the first sentence and then you take that to heart as you pray for the person in your heart, in your life. We're going to start by just acknowledging our God who loves that person more than you do. And then we're going to present that person to him with their needs. And then I want you to offer yourself to be an instrument of God's grace, an agent of his grace in their life, and commit yourself to praying on an ongoing basis for them. So I'm going to lead, then I'm just going to give you a few moments to make that prayer personal for you and your friends. And then I'll take the next part, give you a few moments, and we'll just work our way through this together. Let's pray. Gracious God, loving Heavenly Father, we acknowledge this morning your greatness and power and your merciful compassion. You are the one we turn to. You are the one that we rely on. as an instrument of your grace. 
the wisdom. Show me how I might be of help. Show me the words, the actions that I can take to help. And now, Lord, remind me not to give up. Remind me to keep on praying. Remind me to keep sharing, helping, loving. Change me through this process. We pray this all in Jesus' name. Thank you for listening to this week's message. We trust that you'll join us again soon for another uplifting message from Northgate Christian Fellowship located in Venetia, California.